sure to listen to the end of the podcast to find out how you can follow me for political analysis in what's going on in our culture from a Christian perspective. I'll give you a hint. It's called Patreon. You fall into the theology pit. All of deep you fall in the theology pit. Well, hey everyone, welcome back to The Theology Pit. This is Theology Out of Pittsburgh, and not to be confused with The Bottomless Pit, because you know what we say, when you fall into a bottomless pit, you die of dehydration. I am your friendly neighborhood host, theologian, pastor, the Reverend Samson Kovach, coming back at you with another edition of The Theology Pit. Now, today we are going to continue from our discussion last week, and we're going to, you know, learning how to bigot. That's what we're. That's what we're doing. We're learning how to bigot. That's the uh, the big takeaway from this. Um, there's still a lot of partisanness that's going on in our culture and in the churches, and you know we need to talk about that. We need to discuss it. But it's not like this is an isolated issue. Okay, this isn't this isn't unique to the 21st century or the 20th century uh, to be uh, to be accurate. This is something that's been going on since the inception of the church, okay, you had issues um, with the Jews and the Gentiles, okay? They had a bigotry against each other because of the way the Gentiles behaved, all right? Even the Jews had bigotry within themselves, the different Jewish sects and, and factions. You had the, you know, the animosity between uh, the Jews and the Samaritans, all right. You had, you know, cause they were like half blood cousins, they had, you know, Syrian blood and, um, Paul writing to Jews and Gentiles in the letter to the Roman church. So what was going on is that in Rome, you had, um, churches that consisted of course of Christians, but their ethnic backgrounds were not the same. You had people with a Jewish ethnic background and people who had uh, a Gentile, many different cultures, um, cultural backgrounds. And so whenever you're reading through the letter to the Romans, um, you have to keep an eye out for that, that sometimes Paul is using language that's going to resonate with Jews. And sometimes they're going to resonate with, with, you know, the Gentiles and with, you know, Greco-Roman culture and Greeks. Um, In doing this, Paul is showing that, hey, we are Christians. We are under one roof. We're many ethnicities, but we have a commonality. We're under one roof. And the the reason that he's doing this is because of the infighting that was going on, the arguing that was going on, the separation that was taking place. In the book of Acts, we read of the First Jerusalem Council trying to figure out what, is, what are they going to do with these Gentile believers now? Because Christianity is a Jewish faith. That's what they're looking at. We're all Jews. The Messiah came through the Jewish people, through the Israelite nation, but he is now for all people, all people groups, all ethnos, all, all ethnic people. So, does that mean that they now have to follow our traditions and customs as Jews? They have to think the way we do. They have to act the way that we do. They have to believe the way that we do. And 
you know, a lot of them were saying, yes, absolutely they do. Um, you had some that would claim to be, you know, from uh, Jerusalem that were causing problems in, in Galatia. And Paul deals with them in the uh, letter to the Galatians. You know, these Judaizers, these things that saying that, well, Christ alone isn't enough. Okay, you need a bunch of other stuff. All right, you have to be circumcised. And that's why Paul even goes you know, so far to say, you know, these people that say that you have to be circumcised, I hope they go so far as to castrate themselves. I hope they cut that deep that they castrate themselves. Because it's, it's not necessary. Identity outside of Christ in any manner is not necessary. It's actually anti-Christian to be doing that sort of thing. And so, the Jews and the Jewish leaders had to learn very quickly that Christ and Christianity and God's redemption and salvation for the world is bigger than just them. All right? They're not the end all be all. They are not the means. They are not, you know, the reasoning. Okay? And so... When you're reading through the New Testament letters, keep that in mind. Because we're seeing that today. We're seeing that today in our culture. We're seeing that today in our church with politics. It's getting extremely bad. Uh, I, I, I look on Facebook. I, I see what people say. You know, I see how people treat each other. People who proclaim Christ. I mean, it's, it's really incredible that they are not Christ-like. And this isn't on one side or the other. It's both sides. One side's a little bit worse in particular, but the, the tide will be turning on that soon, soon enough. Um, the people who, it seems, when their party is in power, you know, they are the ones that are the Mika's doves, live and let live, we have to unify, we have to you know, do all these things. And the people who aren't in power are you know, mocked and scorned for their vitriol and their criticism and their harshness. And sometimes it's, it's deserved. Most of the, I would say most of the time it's deserved. Um, you, Cause you have two problems that happen with, with this type of separation. Um, neither group can hear the other. They talk past each other continually. And you have things that occur where, you know, a legitimate criticism of a particular policy is maligned into, you know, ulterior motives. You're just saying that because of X. And if I can prove X, well, then your argument, no matter how legitimate it is, falls apart because of something else that I've constructed. For example, you don't like Joe Biden's policy on X because you drink milk, cow milk, okay, beef milk, if you will. And I can prove that you drink beef milk. And then I prove that you, I show a picture of you drinking beef milk and everybody stands around saying, yeah, yeah, he drinks. He's a, he's one of those beef milk drinkers. Yeah. Don't listen to him. When it wasn't about that at all. And it goes both ways. I mean, a lot of times it goes both ways. When, when I bring up things like African tribalism, the reason I do that is because that is a tangible here and now 
example of not only a deep-seated problem that we as Americans are moving towards and moving into, but that the wisdom of the African community, because they have been living in it, because they identify with it, are, are the ones who are paving the way out. And we're not taking any care of that. We're not looking at what that means. You have tribes, which are divided um, ethnically, you know, in, in a, a bigoted way. And they just don't like other tribes. And, and sometimes there are reasons for that. Um, your tribe is everything, you know. Um, the uh, this, this saying from um, uh, John Mbiti, I believe it, it was, that, um, you know, uh, we, uh, I am because we are. It's a very tribal understanding. My identity exists because of the existence of the tribe. I am because I, you know what? I don't even know if John and Beatty like uh, coined that phrase, but um, it's one of the people I learned it from. Uh, also, it's it's that that slogan um, that that understanding is very prominent in uh, Kenyan culture. So I'm just crediting it uh, that direction. So you have these divisions, you have these, these warring tribes, right? These just flat out bigots. And um, they, portions of them become Christians. And they come and they worship under one roof, under the church. And maybe in the recent past, you have two tribes in the church and one of the tribes attacked and killed some people or a person from another tribe, direct family member. And now you're sitting across from them and you have to worship with them. And within the church, everything may look all hunky dory. It may look great. But as soon as they leave that church, the hostility is there. As soon as they leave that building, I should say, the hostility is there. They're not taking Christ out with them. Not saying they're not Christians, but they're not behaving in that Christian manner. Because there's active work that needs to be done as the church, outside of the building, on social media, on what we on the way that we conduct ourselves, and we're not doing it. Okay. And what it's not, because this is this is very difficult. I mean, it would be very easy to say, um, well, that warring tribe, the tribe that killed people from the other tribe, you know they're in the wrong and they need to see it that way. And they could come back and, and, and you could say, yeah, that's true. They shouldn't be doing that. And the other tribe and that tribe that did that says, but you don't understand. They attacked us and killed so-and-so. I am because we are. If we no longer are because they keep killing us, then I am not. And sometimes it can get a little bit deeper. And sometimes there's, there's much more uh, nuance to it, you know? I mean, can you imagine a, a missionary who's a bishop killing people? Because it's happened. It's happened in the past. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact date. But it is accounted for 
in the book um, called, I think the title is, uh, yeah, Global Anglicanism. It's by, um, yeah, A History of Global Anglicanism by, uh, last name is Ward. Um, During the slave trade, they, there were missionaries that were in Africa, you know, where tribes were attacking other tribes, capturing people and selling them into slavery. You know, I mean, it, it was, a, it was a practice. The stronger tribes would uh, do that to the weaker tribes and you know, they would make money and sell them off to the slave traders. You know, I know that there's a lot of, uh, you know, thoughts about the, the slave trade as, as though, you know, the United States invented slavery or something, or even before that, you know, the, the colonies, they invented slavery. Um, slavery has been around for a long time, even in this, this particular way. And, and they ask, act like, you know, they um, sailed their boats to Western Africa, cast out a net, you know, drug in a, a bunch of slaves from the, from the coast that were just out there hanging out and, you know, you know playing on the beach or whatever brought them out and it's much more complicated than that much more lucrative than that and this these these missionaries would go there and they witnessed these people um yeah uh, taking people into slavery from a tribe and they attacked them because they had guns they attacked them and they released those slaves and they went back to the village where they were from and they spoke with them and and the people were saying yeah this happens a lot. This particular tribe always does that. And so we need to stop them. And the missionaries then um, took up the cause. They became mercenaries. And they attacked this tribe. This tribe that wasn't provoking them. Just because this one tribe said, yeah, see, you caught them right-handed. They do this all the time, do it. And they caught them and they attacked them and um, went after them and killed them. And, and there was a couple times that this happened. Now, this, this tribe that had initially been oppressed started rising up, and they had the power uh, of this. Now, people were horrified. The, the organization that sent these missionaries out were horrified that their missionaries and their bishops were killing people in Africa, that they were killing them because of what's been going on. Being blindly partisan leads to this type of environment of, okay, well, we need to do eye for an eye type thing. And being blindly partisan in politics in America will have the same effect because, you know, people will just say, look, I'm in the right. You need to see it my way. And therefore you need to behave in the way that I think that you should. That's what it is. You need to be forced to see things my way. And that is not what the church should be doing. That is not active work in the church. Being blindly partisan is not active work. Okay? We need to have our focus in one place and one place only in order to be our our measuring rod. And that is in Christ alone. The Theology Pit is a partner-funded ministry. Please consider partnering with us by making a donation at thetheologypit.com. Just scroll to the bottom of the page, hit the donate button, and make a contribution to the best Theology Pit podcast on the internet. Now let's get back to the show. So 
the active work of the church, it is to be Christ-centered. Okay? And, and what that means in America, in the United States, in the way that our republic is set up, is that we, the people, are the authorities. Okay? We are. Which means we have authority over someone. And who is that authority that we have? Uh, you know, who is it that we have authority over, I should say? We have servants. They call themselves public servants. And they are out of line. They've been out of line for a long, long time. And part of the reason is because if the masters are not monitoring the servants, the servants are going to do what they want. And the servants are going to start abusing others and each other and other people. And they're going to start to become wicked. I mean, we have, um, you know, parables that Christ told of, you know, wicked servants who uh, were given a vineyard to, to, you know, tend and the master went away and, you know, the time had come for the harvest. So he sent some of his servants and they kept beating his servants and sending them away. And, and he said, you know what, finally I'll send my son. They'll listen to him. And they would say, Hey, this is the heir. You know, if we kill him, then we will, you know, we'll, we will get the, the whole inheritance because there won't be anyone there to inherit it. And so they, you know, they killed the son. And when the master returns, those sa- slaves are going to be dealt with very harshly. This is the parable because this is what's going on. When you have wicked servants that are left to themselves and they are not put in accord, they, they do not understand that their place is temporarily by the will of the authority, by the master's. And we're not holding our servants responsible. Um, Last year um, in September, I think it was September 6th, my sermon that I gave, September 6th, 2020, you can can find it on um, bridgewaterpresby.org, my church's website. Um, I preached on Romans uh, 13, I think it's verses one through seven. And I went through this in, in, you know, respecting the governing authorities and, and how it goes both ways. And as bad rulers, we're going to have bad servants. And if we're not holding them accountable, holding them responsible, that is our duty to know what they are doing and to know what they are passing and and what's happening. Now, I'm recording this right now on um, January 23rd of 2021. Okay. Joe Biden has been president for three days now, four days, if you count the 20th. It was like a half day. So, I mean, almost like three full days at this point. And, and what has he done? He signed a ton of executive orders. And those who support him, those who voted for him, what do they consist of? Are you monitoring? Are you monitoring what your servant is doing right now? Because he's, he's, he's put out a, a list of stuff. It's not like they're doing this. This isn't hidden. This isn't behind closed doors. Okay? This is out in the open. There are public servants and there is a certain level of transparency. But here's another thing. Holding our servants responsible also means this, that you don't hate your servant before they start working. If you do that, that is wicked. If you hate them, absolutely hate them, everything about them before they've actually started doing their job. You are the wicked one. 
This goes for the people who hated Donald Trump to the point where before he even took the oath of office, they were screaming impeachment, hating him during his inauguration. I mean, how many people that didn't vote for Donald Trump watched the inauguration? I wonder if it's the same statistical number of people who didn't like and didn't vote for Joe Biden. Did they watch the inauguration? Did you? I did. I watched the whole thing because whether I like it or not, the way our system works in this country is that the people do not elect the president. The electoral college did. And if the electoral college behaved irresponsibly and cast their votes for the wrong person, they need to be held accountable. Okay. If the, government of the state behaved poorly, or if you think that they did or they weren't transparent, they need to be held accountable. These are all people that are serving us. Now, we have people representing us. If our representatives, state and federal, are not representing us properly, they need to be held accountable. Okay. Do you know who your representative is? Because that's your servant. I know who mine are in this area. I know one of my one of them for, for the state. I know him extremely well. We're on a first name basis. We have been for a long time before he was elected. I know him, a good Christian man. I've worshipped with him. You know, we've we've discussed politics and religion, you know, as he's been a a, a sitting representative. Maybe I'll have him on the show sometime. You know, he's a great guy. Um but I know who they are. I know where they stand. I know how to get a hold of them. I know how to get their ear. And that's important because if there's a policy that's coming up or if I want them to do something, enact a certain policy or, or just answer questions, they're there to do that. They are my direct representation into the bigger world of government. They are my servants. They serve me in that way. And they'll report back to me what's going on. That's how it should be. But a lot of places don't function like that. A lot of people don't don't function in um, you know in their in their society like that in their in their towns, and so what they do is they just say, "Well, this person I don't like them," and so no matter what they say or no matter what they do, it's wicked, it's evil, and I won't do that. I mean, there's a lot of things so far that Joe Biden has done just in these three days that I have not liked. Okay. I don't care for his politics. I think that they are detrimental. I think that they're harmful. Okay. Um, but that doesn't mean that I hate him and resist every single thing that he does. I mean, in some of them, I, I look at them and I say, you know, some of the policy, put. I, I'm like, you know what? His heart's in the right place. But the way that the, that the policy is going about it is, is not very well thought out. It's going to be extremely problematic. Okay. And you know the, the the cabinet members that he's putting in place have a, have a, a bad track history politically. I mean, to be honest, a, a lot of them I, I don't know morally where they stand. Okay, unless they make a big deal about it, or unless you know that is their history and how they got into office. You know, by uh, you know slimy moral dealings. Okay, I mean uh, a show that uh, I enjoyed that came out was House of Cards. 
Um, Kevin Spacey, you know, before, you know, cancel culture, you know, ruined the end of that, of course. And, you know, Kevin, Kevin Spacey's, uh, behavior, um, his immoral behavior. Um, yeah. So, so the end of the, that, that series is very, um, weird. Um, and it's, it's obviously off, off track completely. It, it could have been a lot better if, if, you know, partisan politics would have gotten in the way because it's a political show, but I watched it and it's, it, it watched the first few seasons, maybe three, maybe four seasons. I forget how many there were. Uh, and you can see the way somebody who did not go through the proper electoral cha- channels to become the president of the United States. He did it through a backdoor way and did not have the support of the people. It was, it's totally problematic. And that's somebody who did it in an immoral fashion. And so because they're in that position immorally and based on their behavior, that then you can look at and say, you know what, you shouldn't be there because of, you know, that, um, that behavior. And even if your policies are horrible. Now, I talked about also what, what, what the response of all this is going to be, you know, because people are not thinking this way. They're not thinking, hey, I should look at the policies. I should hold people accountable. No, they're just thinking my person didn't get in because their hope isn't in Christ. It's in the state. It's in, hey, everything is going to be better now because this administration is in place or, hey, everything's going to be worse now because this administration is in place and my hope is in the government. My hope is not in Christ. And because this, I talked about how good people are going to start allowing violence. It's going to happen. And I'm not a prophet, okay? But it's just people are just going to, there's going to be violence and you're not going to have people physically there that are going to try to stop those people anymore. They're just going to continue to allow it to happen. And the reason why I know this, the reason why I know this is because in other areas of life, I've already seen it take place. I've already seen it happen within, you know, elections. Okay. And this past election, I just saw it. All right. People who, and, and I, I made the case and it's, it's a provable case that there's always been voter fraud. There's always been, you know, a, election fraud and things happen. And we have to monitor that. I've, I, I've made that, that is as, you know, a, a, as true as the sky is blue. Okay. And the problem is, is that you have people who, when these people or bad things are happening, they're not standing up and saying, that's wrong. You know why? Because their people got in office. Because they won. That is the mentality that's going to be behind the violence that will take place from the backlash. It might not happen for, you know, till the next big election cycle. You know, that the rhetoric will start moving up. It'll start jumping up and everything. But the fact that voter fraud was so out in the open and was so rampant in this last election and nobody cares. The people that did it are now like, you know, protesting so much against it to the point where here in the state of Pennsylvania, where there was a huge amount of voter fraud, huge amounts. Um, and, it, and it was it, it was evident everywhere that you know, the lieutenant governor of our state, basically the vice president of our state, um, said that that's not free speech for me to say what I just said, that that's not free speech. I should be shut down for saying, for talking that way. I mean, this is, this is, and this guy, this guy wants to run 
um, for uh, I, I think it's Senate he wants to run for maybe maybe for for governor I know he wants to be governor but um, if, if Wolf doesn't step down or step aside then he won't but you know running for Senate uh, this is the, uh, this mentality this this type of person and so he's saying stuff like this and the people that actually say that they care about liberty that say that they care about um, you know uh, they care about voting rights they care about all this stuff they don't care they don't care and they're not standing up and saying, hey, that's wrong. You shouldn't be saying that. You shouldn't be doing that. They're just passing, letting it go by, saying, yeah, you know what? Those people do need to shut up. We got what we wanted. They are allowing bad people to continue, bad policies to continue. And they really just don't care. This is going to be a problem. Thank you for listening to The Theology Pit. Please take a moment to rate our podcast and leave a comment about what you like or what you don't like. Each rating and comment helps others discover this show. Don't forget to visit us at thetheologypit.com to make a donation. While on the website, we would appreciate it if you would share these podcasts with your friends and family on social media. Our Facebook page is also titled The Theology Pit. Stop over and give us a like. If you have any questions or topics you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, please write to samson at thetheologypit.com. That's samson, spelled S-A-M-S-O-N, at thetheologypit.com. Now, here's a preview of next week's show. So next week's show, I'm not real sure, but I want to tell you this. If you want to continue listening to the theme of this podcast, I am going, you need to go to Patreon. You need to uh, become a patron of the channel for five bucks a month. And you're going to start getting a lot of Christian political review from this. I am going to be looking at um, the executive orders that Joe Biden just signed and what they mean. Uh, I've read through a few of them. They're not hard to read through. I mean, many people could do it. I think that you should do it, um, especially if you voted for him and you need to hold this administration accountable. You need to do this. But come find this and more on the next Theology Pit. Mm -hmm.